primary care knowledge boost, changing access models in general practice, a success story. Hi there, thanks for joining us. Um, We're glad that you have. Today we're speaking to Dr. Adam Cliff, who's a GP partner in Greater Manchester. Um, He's kindly shared his story about how his practice changed their model of access, um, so the way that they triage patients. Yes, it's fascinating. It really doesn't sound it probably from the title, but we had a really great chat with Adam. He's a fantastic speaker um, and has been really engaging on the topic. Um, And I think probably there's a lot to learn for everyone out there, especially given the new contract details um, that are coming through. People might find it a bit useful um, to hear just one success story. We know that's probably one of many, but um, it was really interesting chatting to Adam about it. Yeah, enjoy. Right. So we always kick off with introductions. So would you like to tell everyone um, who you are and what you currently do? Thanks for having me. Um, I've, I've been listening for a long time, so it's a bit, bit surreal being on this side of the microphone, really. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm a, a GP. I, I currently work in Tameside in East Manchester, which uh, in a town called Staley Bridge. Uh, I've only uh, CCT'd from my, my training in October 2020, so I'm fairly new to it. Um, uh, after that, uh, I, I worked as salaried for a, about 18 months with some locum and some out of hours. And then I took a partnership in April of, of last year. So just under 12 months ago. Brilliant. Um, so nice and fresh. Yes, um, quite fresh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, thank you for agreeing to talk to us about this. Um, we were kind of linked together because we gather that you had a bit of an idea about how to change the way that patients um, can access GP practices and primary care that led to um, quite an impressive success story. Um, mm. So we thought um, to kind of start, it might be worth asking you to talk us through um, some different models of access that you have seen before. Yeah, so w- I guess um, we've made a, a fairly big change to the, the way we triage our patients in our practice um, in, in sort of November, December time, so just a few months ago. And, it, and it's gone really well for us. Um, so I think that it, it's probably quite useful to, to share some of, of what we've learned from that experience, really. But it's a tricky subject because obviously primary care is full of um, different practices with hundreds of different ways of triaging patients. And I don't for, for a second think that one way of, of doing it would suit every, every practice. I think it's really varied depending upon your patient list size and, and your demographic and, and what staff you have and what skill sets they have and, and all of that really. And, and just the way people like to work and the way people like to do things. Um, so it, it, it's good in terms of an example of a, of a change, I suppose, but it's, it's not necessarily something that's, ne- that's that new or that, that different to other places. Um, but it, it's been quite a big change. And I think in that process, I did look at quite a lot of different models and different ways that people are doing stuff. Um, and I, I've had a bit of experience through my, my training and through places that I've worked since training as well. And it, it seems to me that there's um, sort of broadly three groups that you could put the triage models into, which is uh, firstly be like the traditional models, uh, which... I guess a, a bit of a current topic because it looks like they're likely to be phased out with, with the new contract changes that are coming in next year. Um, and the, those traditional models really rely on patients contacting the practice, usually through phone calls and walk-ins, but, but sometimes with online tools as well. And then either admin staff or, or a clinician sort of w- booking in appointments to deal with that. 
And once all the appointments are full, then they usually they're either directing the patients elsewhere or or asking them to call back again the next day and, and, and saying that they're at capacity. And I know that that, that is a way that practices have, have, have operated for a long time. And there are still some places that, that follow that, that kind of system. Um, but the, since COVID, there's been a lot of change and there's been um, a, a different way of working that, that's come about, which a lot of people refer to as total triage which by itself is sort of the second big group of the way people do things. But by itself, it, it, it's, you know, there's lots of different ways of implementing that as well. And there's lots of different softwares and tools that, that people use. But essentially, the, the, the bones of that is that people um, contact the practice, usually through an online tool of some description, like a form on the website is usually the preferred one, but also sometimes through calls and walk-ins, depending on, on, on how the practice does it really. Um, and then all of those contacts are, are triaged and, and either directed to a more appropriate service or they're booked in for a routine or an urgent slot in the practice, but, but they're never advised to call back or, or sent elsewhere for, for, the, for their care inappropriately. Um, and that's the, that's seems to be the way that the systems are moving in general. And I think given the, the contract changes, I think there'll be quite a big shift towards that in the next year as well for, for practices that aren't already doing it. Um, and then the, the third group of triage models that, that I found was like a bit of a hybrid of, of the two, really. And that's probably what our practice was doing before we made the change, where it felt like we were trying quite hard to, to do a total triage system. But because of lots of reasons, but, but primarily down to capacity problems, we, we were struggling to do it. So we ended up defaulting to more of a traditional model where, where we were directing people elsewhere and, and people were calling back and calling back and and you felt like we we kind of had a foot in both camps with that really yeah so interesting that's really interesting it's great that you've kind of uh, broken it down in that way as well um why did you want to why did you get interested in it and why did you change it um it, for, for us at, at the time we really didn't have a choice we, we had to change um and and I think it had been building up for quite a long time that the, the model that we were using felt like it, it wasn't really working that well for patients or, or for the staff. And over the last few months uh, of, of us using it, the, the demand from the patients was just going up and up and up. And it felt like the, the system that we were using was just starting to come apart at the seams, really. So the, the way we, we did do things at that time was we, we tried to direct everybody through a, a AccuRx form on the website, an online consultation form on the website. And we tried to, to educate our patients and encourage them to, to use that. Um, but then when we reached capacity, we'd always turn that form off and it seemed to be getting earlier and earlier in the day. So at the end, it was like 10, 11, 12 o'clock in, in the morning, we, we were switching the form off. And then the patients were phoning through and, and we were trying to manage that through the admin team, squeezing them into the list or trying to find a place to book them. And they, the admin staff felt stressed because they didn't have anywhere to, to put the patients. So the, there was long waits for routine appointments and, and the same day list was, was full to the brim every day. So, so they felt stressed because they were trying to make decisions about where to put these patients who were calling up, but they didn't have anywhere that they could put them. So because of that, they, they were then messaging on the EMIS yellow messages, try, trying to say, can we squeeze in here? Can we squeeze in there? And they were getting answers back from all places that, that contradicted each other. And it, and it just felt like it was we, we were just living in chaos, really. Yeah. Um, and, and that made the admin staff 
stressed and there was a lot of burnout from, from our admin team. Um, and, and it also made the clinicians feel, feel stressed and we, and we were working really hard to try and, to try and fix the problem by just working at double the speed and trying to fit people in left, right and center. And, and it, and it just wasn't working for us. So the, the other parallel to that that forced our hand really was that we, to, to try and help with the situation, we would revert into just using locums to try and improve our capacity problem. So anytime anybody was off, we, we were filling the slot with a locum and, and we, we were trying to spend some money on them to try and help us to, to get the system back under control really. But we, we realized that we'd, we'd come under a bit of financial pressure from a few reasons, but the primarily through overspending on locums. So we knew that we couldn't continue with that. And, and for that reason, it just felt really obvious that I think everybody knew that a change was coming. We just didn't really know what, what that change would be. Yeah, actually, just at this point, I wonder if it's worth um, just asking you, Adam, what, what your practice is like in terms of what's your size of patients and on an average day, who's in? Interesting. So, so we are, we've got about eight and a half thousand patients um the the demographics fairly mixed so we've got some um, fairly low income impoverished parts of our our area but there's also a few little bit more affluent places so we're really in the middle of the road with it we've got a a fairly good ratio of doctors to patients so i'm i'm the fifth partner um we don't all work full time but there's five partners and then we have one salaried gp we did have two salaried gps at one stage and we've got two AMPs as well. So we've got, we have got a, f- a fair few clinicians. Um, but even with all of that, it, it really felt like we, we were sort of struggling to, to keep up with, with the, uh, with the capacity problem, really, which I'm yeah. sure lo- lots of people can relate to. Yeah. Thank you. That just, I thought might provide a bit of context. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. Yeah. 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 So h- how did you go about changing your model of access? Um, when we knew that, things were, were starting to to get pretty tough and and, and we knew a change had to come we, we started to plan a partner's strategy meeting so we, we put a date in the in the diary for us all to get together outside of work and try and come to some sort of solutions um, and in that time I spent a bit of time uh, speaking to colleagues and, and uh, other people that I know in, in the profession and asking around about how other people were doing things and what was working well for them and, and what wasn't and I came up with a bit of a plan about changing the system into into a proper total triage system, um, and then we we discussed that at the partners meeting and went and went along with it. Um, it might be for I guess for context, it might be useful to just sort of run you through what our system is now and how how we operate, if that's helpful. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Um, so the the. The, everything that we do now comes through the online form on the website, which is we we use the Accurex Plus form, but I know there's lots of different um, options out there that, that that other people use. But essentially, that that just gives a bit of a um, a few brief questions that the patient fills out, and then that comes through to to us in one big long list of consultation requests. There are patients who can't do their own online form so for those people they phone through to reception and the receptionist fills out the form on their behalf and the we are spending a bit of energy in in sort of training the practice population into just doing the form and understanding that and but but obviously it's a bit of a process and that does take a bit of time to happen but that that was important because it really streamlined the number of uh, ways that someone can contact us it, it makes it much more simple to get a handle on our workload and, and what was coming in 
And it also made it a lot fairer because previously we had people phoning and people walking in that, that were sort of queue jumping the people who'd done the form and and that didn't really feel fair. So having it, everything come through that one portal made it easier to visualize the scale of the work that's coming in yep. and then deal with it in a timely and ordered and fair manner. Um, once we've once we've got all that information coming in, we, it then goes up to um, a, a clinical hub that we've made upstairs. So we have a room upstairs where we have a, a same day team, which is consists of one member of, of the admin staff and then one GP and then either one or two ANPs, depending upon the day of the week. Um, the admin staff does the first pass of the, of the triage. So they work through that big long list and they're trying to make a decision about whether that is a, a case that could be seen, is more appropriate to be seen elsewhere. So whether that's MSK or podiatry or the the eye service or or whoever it is. And and for those people, they're redirecting them to the better service and, and booking them in as, as needed. Um, and then everything that's left that, that's in-house that would be more appropriate for us to deal with as, as a practice, they're then trying to make a decision about whether that's an urgent same-day problem or whether it's a routine problem. Mm-hmm. And the if it's the same day problem, they put it on a, on a big same day list. If it's a routine problem, they just book it in for the, the relevant GP or for the next available routine appointment, whatever that may be. Um, and then the, the clinicians in, in that room basically work through the same day list. So we go through, in, you know, in order, calling the patients, seeing those that need to be seen, home visits if they need to be done, you know, just dealing with the, with the problems really. Um, but the benefit of us all being sat in the same room together like that is really that it gives us a better opportunity to just act as a team and to support each other and to keep a conversation going about the, the workflow. And I, I know that sometimes you, you can sit and think about all of trying to ex- uh, upskill your reception staff about who's urgent and who's not urgent and trying to explain or create algorithms and triage tools for them to use. But we know that everything in medicine is really subjective and this always seems to fall into a gray area where you're not quite sure if you're worried or if you're not worried. And I think we even identify with that as, as trained GPs or trained clinicians with experience. Whereas if that's landed on the head of a reception staff or an admin staff who who hasn't got that that training, um, it, I think it it makes their job pretty hard if they don't have that that support really. So if they if it's very obvious and and you know we've got great admin staff who, who you know quite experienced and they know a, a lot of cases they know how to deal with it almost better than we do. So they they're sending people to the pharmacy or the um you know booking them in with other services and things. But if it's a bit of a grey area to say like, oh what, what do you think that this one with leg pain is, is better for MSK or do you think it probably needs to be through us? They can just have that conversation in the room at the time. So quite quite gently they can just turn around and and, and ask and I can give them advice or well, we, we can try and work it out together as what's the best thing to do. Um, and if it's, and the, and the same thing again with, with the difference between routine and urgent, that, you know, if they're not sure, oh, could this be routine? Can it wait a few days or should we see it today? They can just ask the question and we can do it together. Um, and I think that that process has made us just 
much, much more efficient and, and streamlined with the way we do things. So we now seem to only have genuine, urgent, same-day patients on, on the list and, and our routine appointments are filled with things that are appropriate for us and the routine and we're not having things that, that could be seen elsewhere or things that should have been seen three days ago and, and everything, all of those little problems that, that we found frustrating previously seem to have just almost completely disappeared really because we've got that conversation going in the room and, and that kind of teamwork to, to help deal with the problem okay i've written down some questions as you've talked i don't know if sarah has yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll take it in turns shall we sarah <laughs> yeah yeah you go first lisa i'm always jumping in um <laughs> So uh, just to get it clear, so this is for all of your types of appointments. So everyone fills in this online form or has a receptionist fill it in on their behalf. Yes, everybody, everybody. does that. Yeah. And does it do patients have an idea of the time frame that they can expect to kind of hear back from you guys? Yeah, so I think on the website, it, it tells them the time frame that they'll hear a response within. And I, I'm fairly sure it's 48 hours at the moment. But in practice, we, we're within 24 hours. We, we clear it by the end of every day. Um but it's. I think we put forty eight hours just to give us some breathing space. That's fair. That was grand. That was my first one, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bounce it. Yeah, I was going to ask about sort of um, potential inequalities in the accessing system, but you already answered that by saying that some people can can call if they can't fill yeah, in the forms. That, that was. It was a bit of a worry for us as to how that would play out, really. But we've not. We've not found many barriers with it because those people do just they either walk in and have the form filled out or they or they um they, they just phone up and we just do it yeah. and we did find a lot of patients initially you know who are totally capable of doing the form themselves but they were quite resistant to doing it which i think was because they thought they'd be dealt with quicker or, or better on, over the phone which you know a year ago maybe they would have been when, when we were in the old system yeah. Um, so they often they say, oh, no, I can't, I'm not near my computer or I don't, I can't do it. I just don't want to do it. And then when the admin staff member says, okay, well, I'll fill the form out on your behalf. They say, forget it. I'll, I'll do it myself <laughs> and then go and do it themselves. Yeah. So over it has it's getting easier we're still only three months into this really but it's there's been noticeable that we're getting a lot less pushback from the patients and they're starting to yeah. to sort of get used to the system and, and, and appreciate it more, I think. That's it. It's kind of making sure that the people that need the access have got it. The big thing that we struggled mm. with with the online systems of access was people um, getting in touch much quicker than, than they would. Yeah. So the barrier, the threshold of when they'd contact the GP and what with um, seemed to go down. Lots of pictures of toenails and things or um, yeah. other interesting pictures. But um, yeah, it just yeah. created a huge demand very quickly. And I think that's why we did sort of the same as you in terms of we had to limit the amount that we were getting through. Mm. Um, how have you found that with the way that you've changed we, it? I think that as, as clinicians, that was definitely our biggest worry going yeah. into it. And, and we, we've we previously tried, when we first started using the online consultation tool uh, a couple of years ago, back in COVID, we, we found the same thing that we... we for some reason, when we first started, we didn't think it through and we left it switched on 24-7. And it, we, you'd come in on a Monday to just hundreds of messages that people had sent on a, oh. on a Saturday at 4 a.m. that they'd forgot they'd even sent. And, and lots of, like you say, lots of low acuity things that yeah. you would never have rung a GP about, but you might just, just send a, a message on the website. And so we thought that we'd, that would maybe be the problem with the system that would get all of that 
that additional work coming in and and it's and it being quite hard to handle but for some reason we haven't found that when when we've implemented it and i think i think the solutions to it has been more or less that we can triage more efficiently so sometimes for things that are very low acuity or or very short history sometimes you can we do respond to them just with a text message to give you know a bit of a safety net and and advise a a bit of time or, or to see the pharmacist or something like that so you can deal with them very quickly um and um i think the the other thing that we've done to try and help is things where you can put on the website um, almost like little barriers so when we had a lot of people calling up with coughs and colds we put a video up that you had to watch before you could submit a consultation request and it was only a minute long but it just explained about coughs and colds and what, what the things to worry about would be and when you should call the gp and everybody had to watch that so it's probably a bit frustrating for some of the patients but a lot better than spending 30 minutes on hold on the phone like they might have done previously and it, i hope i mean you'll never know how many that deflected but i hope it made an impact on, on the number that, that were coming through interesting yeah um and so the see the the first triage bit that happens um with the receptionist and then the mm. inter-urgent and um routine is that all done just solely based off what people have submitted on the form yes so yeah so it's all they sent sometimes the patients fill out the form with loads of information and it's very easy to make that call other times they i mean they sometimes just write i'm ill or something like that and give you no information but often you know you need a bit more than what they've told you so you might need a photo or you might need some sort another question so the the Accurex tool that we've got actually lets you reply to the patient so they can the the admin staff member before they deal with it out of the list they can send a, a message back to say can you send us a photo or c- could you um tell us how long it's been going on for you know something like that and they get a reply and when they feel that they've got enough information they then make the decision about where to put them or, or what to do with them brilliant yeah i just figured that because that there was always that double triaging and double seeing and all that kind of things that always it seems to extend mm. the time but no that's a really good way of being able to deal with it and yeah. um, i'm just going to ask my next question sir before you get in um yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the um, um and the request will obviously be trickling in throughout the day um, mm. i'm just wondering how it looks later on in the day whenever um the clinicians are maybe starting to see patients or going out on a home visit and things like that and um, there will obviously be that same teamwork in the same room um have you found a difference there yeah so when we first started, we, we got nearly all of our consultation requests first thing in the morning because it, that's the, the, the way the patients used to behave by, by ringing up. And, yeah. and, and they, that was the only time the, the form was definitely open previously as well. So we'd get loads comes through in the morning and you'd feel like we were drowning. And then we'd just claw it back through the day. Um, it's changed a bit now. So we get a bit more of a steady flow through the day, which, which kind of helps to spread the workload out a little bit. Um, we generally find it it works okay, even if people are seeing patients and, and there might not be a clinician in that room for the whole time. But because we've got one or two AMPs, they do quite a lot of the of the face-to-faces and, and the, the GP can sit there and, and do a bit more of the calls or, or whatever. Um, so there is usually someone around, but if there's not, then the, the reception member will just um, keep that that patient to one side and when somebody comes back up they'll say oh, i've got two to ask you about and and just ask us uh, at that time really brill yeah just wondered if it was a challenge or not that's grand sarah back to you 
Yeah. But I, I was just wondering, I have never had a huge amount of experience with triaging. Mm. Uh, and I know that next to a lot of the colleagues I work with, I would be, I'd, my threshold for bringing people in would be much lower, potentially. Um, I could I could probably do <laughs> um, quite a lot of potential damage or just clog the system a bit too easily. Whereas I think sometimes the the skilled triager or triaging people, I guess for any member of the admin and mm. clinical team um how do you deal with the kind of differences in skill sets well with that? i think that's been really interesting learning curve for us all actually so we've not no, none of us are really experienced in triage other than just what we've been doing previously by trying to squeeze patients in left right and center mm. um, but we've actually found that we all do things quite differently um out, yes. out of, the, <laughs> out of the, the the clinicians that work there and the people who have the best insight to that are the, the amps because they spend almost all of their time in the hub so they work with all of us and even now we don't it's, it's not that common you'd get two GPs in, in the hub. So um, it's really interesting to, to learn from each other about different ways people do things. Um, yeah. But also we've, we, I've learned things from, from the AMPs, you know, because they're so good at managing all of the, the kind of um, urgent and the kind of acute problems that, that come through, mm. like, you know, maybe less focused on frailty and things that, than we are as GPs, but they're very good at all the acute stuff. And I've learned things from them and I learned things that, uh, you know we're passing information so other gps might have said told them things that comes back to me and also the admin team you know they quite often i'll say oh i think we better see them and they say oh well, maybe they could see that go to the pharmacy and i think oh yeah yeah maybe they could so it, <laughs> it's been really nice being in the same room and just sharing all of that information and that learning together really yeah. um, but i think that as from a personal point of view i think you can only work at the level that you're comfortable at and if that means that you not done loads of triage and you end up bringing more people in than someone else would well that's not a problem that's just that you know you're playing it safe and that's the right way to do it and maybe as time goes on and, and you get more experienced or you, you get more confident with it then then you your triage might become a little bit um, less kind of risk averse really um but it's it, it's just a, it depends on on who you know it's individual to each of us isn't it and i think you're just got to do what works best for you yeah, I think you're right. It's that, um, I think it is that uh, sitting in the room with other people and being able to sense check what you're doing mm. because triage to me always felt very lonely, um, kind of sat in the room and trying to make the decisions yourself. But I think that really mm. does make a big difference. Yeah, and it, and it definitely, being in the room together definitely helps with um, sharing the, the stress on a busy day and, and you don't feel like you're just facing it all by yourself. You feel like you're doing it as a team you kind of um, helping each other out and it and it and it's just it just improves everyone's resilience and just a lot more social and a lot more fun than, than spending the whole 10 hours sat in your room by yourself worrying exactly. about things you know i can so imagine actually rather than being the, the bad day it might become the fun day because it is yeah we, we all people. prefer it actually and we, we had to make a few changes like we um we had the headsets we were using were just one ears one ear open and one ear closed but sometimes it's a bit distracting because you can hear other people so now we've got moving to like two ear noise cancelling headsets so you can concentrate and oh. you know li little changes to the working environment like that that, that probably help us a bit going forwards i think um but yeah it's the, everybody does seem to prefer it the the admin staff prefer it because they're, they're away from the phone and they can just sit and work through one list they've only got one task in front of them you know they're not they're not being pulled in every direction and they feel better supported and 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 get to learn a, a bit from us as well 
the the A and P's prefer it because they feel more supported. At difficult cases, they can just talk about them, you know, and, and and they don't feel like they're facing that same day list on their own. And and as clinicians, we we just it, it, we just prefer. Um, I think uh, the, the kind of variety in your week really of, of of having that that extra bit that you do really rather than just sitting and doing sessions. But we never do. It's not often that we do a full day of it. We we usually do one clinical session and then half a day in the hub. So it just kind of breaks your day up a little bit. Um, the only last thing I had, which was kind of going back to how you changed the model um, that Sarah had asked before, um, did you just literally one day go, this is the new system? Well, yeah. So the, the, the process of change was, was quite interesting in itself, really, because we, we were a bit worried about um, how to how to implement it without causing more stress and burnout to, to the team and and everybody was already pretty on the edge at that time to be honest so we after we had our meeting and we discussed it as a partnership group we then arranged a, a whole team meeting which, which we do fairly regularly anyway but we, we did one specifically about this change and we discussed it with everybody we told them the plan and we and we got all of the feedback and ideas and i think that was so important to do because it, it they they were able to see different perspectives on it that we hadn't considered so you, you know everybody had their own view on it and and thought oh well what about if this happens maybe we could do it that way instead and together we sort of helped to to design the system t- together really and um, and and i think that by doing that one, it made the system better and, and a bit more resilient. And two was that I think it made the staff feel like they'd been more listened to and the, to understand that we were doing it with their interests at heart, really, and trying to make a better working environment for everybody, not just doing it to, you know, for cost reasons or, or to, to benefit the partners or, or whatever. It was to do, to, to help everybody. And doing that and involving the whole team made, I think, gives everybody more sort of motivation and, and and enthusiasm to sort of make it make it succeed so once we'd all agreed the plan we did a few trial days with it where for one day a week for a month we said we'll do the new system and then all the rest of the time we use the old system but actually with hindsight that probably wasn't a great way to do it because it created a lot of confusion for the staff and the patients and it and it became quite tricky to manage uh, you know on a on a tuesday this appointment it means this and on a wednesday it means that and it, nobody could quite get the head around it properly so i think if we were to to do it again i, I mean it's easy to say this now that we've done it and it's worked well but i, I think it would have been better to just ju- jump in the deep end with it really and 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 give it a real good go and you could always revert back if it, if it didn't work that's interesting um, the, i guess the the thing that was in our favor with it was that we already had access to the online consultation tool so we didn't have to spend a lot of money or uh, on 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 a new software package and we didn't have to train the staff on how to use it everybody more or less already knew how to how to how to use it properly and um, so, so it was easy for us to make that change whereas i think it'd be a bit trickier if you were in a practice who didn't have access to any of that or the staff weren't trained in how to use it because i think you'd have to spend a bit of time trying to figure out what's the best software for you and, and what's going to work best and that, that's probably a bit of a process to go through really you're right um, and in terms of um, you have mentioned quite a few to be fair along the way but any other big challenges that you came across or um things to note about the way that you kind of approached the change um i think the the challenges Really, I think we've sort of covered the main ones, really. But it's it, it was more the, the sort of worries about 
um, making sure that all the staff were on board with it and that they wanted to, to you know, that they, they felt supported and happy to do the change. And then also making sure the patients were educated and they, they understood that there'd been some change to the way we triage because that, that was a bit of a, a learning curve for them as well. And it still is, you know, we've only been, been doing it for a few months now. Um, but but it was important to try and communicate that to the patients, and, and we did that with um, posts on social media and, and things like that, and and the reception staff just being really patient and explaining it to time and time again on the phone, um, and that was um, they, they were the main challenges with it really. The, there were a couple of other um, benefits as well though to to the to running this system, and and the main one I think is just that in the fundamentals of the way that it works now regardless of how many people are in we always will have enough people to run a same day service so there'll always be two to three clinicians even if you know we had loads on annual leave or loads of sickness in the staff so because of that we can always provide care to the vulnerable people that need it same day people who are really unwell the people that we're worried about we can do it comfortably each day with those that number in our same day team and if if you know things change and and we've got uh you know increasing demand or or less funding and we can't have as as many staff as we'd like the thing that will suffer is actually the the routine waiting list will get longer um rather than it meaning that we're not seeing the poorly people who really need us and i think you know in an ideal world we don't want a a long routine waiting list either but if there's one part of the service that's going to have that then 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 i'd rather it was the routine ones rather than the urgent ones and the knock-on effect of that is that we don't need to spend money on locums anymore. We haven't employed any since we made the change, which is financially huge for a lot of practices to, to not, not need locums anymore. And, it, and little things as well, like it means everybody, you can more or less get your annual leave on the days that you want, you know, regardless of how many other people are in or out. And it's things like that that make a big difference to your quality of life and how much you enjoy your job and, and your working environment, really. So I think there's been a lot of, of smaller side benefits that we didn't really see coming that, that, that we've noticed along the way, really. Have you got any advice for people who were trying to, who were suffering and struggling like you did, you were? Um, about how to go about it or where to start. Yeah, so I th- I think when we were looking into this, I did try and look online if there's any guidance or useful things out there to help you with, with this process. But because it is such a complicated and, and unique and, and subjective world, I think you f- you come across a lot of opinions and, and the occasional thing from the BMA or somebody, but, but it, I didn't find any of it particularly um, helpful in, in designing the actual system yeah. what I did find helpful was actually speaking to people who you know about the ways they were doing things people who'd already made ch- similar changes before and different experiences of different models that people were using and and working out what what works best and I think that probably as a profession that's something that we we need to do because it's challenging times at the moment and I think we we're all working to the same goal and I think the more we can share ideas between practices and and help each other and try and come up with the best kind of innovative solutions the better really so I think it definitely the the right thing to do is to just ask around your, your local PCN network or any of your other colleagues and contacts that you have and, and just ask for advice from people and most people will be really happy to spend a bit of time talking to you about how things are working and I guess if it's a, a big change you might even want to go and visit that practice and, and have a look 
look at it face to face and see how see how it, it functions you know in reality before you decide to kind of run it through your own practice and i think most people you know be be help happy to, to, to kind of help each other out like that really yeah lovely. definitely but it's such a big fundamental change mm. to quite a lot of the way that people would work i would hope that people would be friendly enough to help out yeah i hope so <laughs> Oh, um, shout out to anybody out there who is. <laughs> Please be nice. I love uh, this. Has been thank you so much for um, fielding all of our loads of questions that came up as you were talking us through it. And um, what would you say your learning points are for today's chat? And I think the main thing that we, we were quite worried about the the work situation at one point last year, and, and the morale in the staff was really low. And especially as a new partner, I, I really wasn't in a great place with, with my work life really and I think the the key thing is that it, it feels so much more positive now and I think it, it's we shouldn't accept bad working conditions or, or or not doing things as well as we'd like and I think if if things are not right then we should be looking to try and change them and that's one of the key things that we've got in our in our specialty is that we've got this huge workforce filled with brilliant people who are all doing things and innovating things in, in different ways and I just don't think there's any reason why we, we can't create a service that we're, we're happy to work in and we're proud of that does well for the patients and, and does well for the staff you know I think I'd just encourage people that if they're not in a good place they're not having a good time to just seek a bit of help from the colleagues and have have discussions about things you can change and find ways to improve it because it ultimately is it's going to be better for all of us to do that really definitely Thanks so much, Adam. This has been great. Um, oh, no it was, it's a bit of a funny topic. When you come into it, you think, oh, what's it going to be like? But I've had a fantastic evening. Oh, so thank, thank you. you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so, yes, now that we've had our chat with Adam, Sarah, what did you take away? Um, what did you learn from this evening? Yeah, I'm glad we convinced him to come and chat to us um, because I really enjoyed the whole the whole conversation, really. It's really interesting to hear how people have... Um, done something managed to change when change is hard um at a time when it's just so hard at the moment so um yeah it's lovely to hear examples of success and it is such a a powerful tool that we've got this podcast and we can share all these stories because yeah i mean just trying to capture some of the the success stories is really interesting i think the whole thing of considering the different models and not being afraid of change um definitely if i think about our practice going to what he's described i don't know it's a smaller practice i don't know if it'd work um it'd be really interesting um but yeah just the whole thing of getting all the stakeholders on board and yeah. thinking of all the different problems and just working it all through and yeah it sounds quite awesome actually a, d a day or <laughs> half a day or all, all, all there together you know yeah that's what i was thinking well i, I yeah wrote the exact same thing down about not being scared um about the change because you can just i can just imagine how fearful that would be to make such a massive change to how patients access your practice yeah. um, and how you fundamentally work yeah um but you can see how if you do it well consulting everybody getting everybody on board like you say that it can be really successful and um, but yeah i think i would have, I, I think i would have looked forward to that day to be in a team with people and not sat on my own and kind yeah. of yeah doing stuff with people it sounds quite fun <laughs> for triage um but uh the other thing that yeah i'd written down was about just the benefits um like you said about the um the resilience the kind of the quality of life changes the work-life balance and even just thinking about the the patients like you, you know all of your routine appointments are routine all of your 
your urgent appointments are are urgent like people are getting seen in the right place and that's beneficial for the patients and um, so they're not wasting their time um, and, and and patients as a whole so you haven't got people who are taking up urgent appointments with routine things that could wait like it just the whole system is better um it's better for funding the way that you've put your money it's better for the practice yeah it just it's, it's a no-brainer really when it's laid out in front of you like that yeah no, it was great. I think um, the yeah, the idea that if you could do these tiny little bits of patient education that are quite standard across the board at times where, yeah, they're just, just thinking of the last few months and the amount of coughs, colds and... Oh, yeah, the but, video. Yeah, just, just having <laughs> so like clever. little bits of like, you know, this is the generic stuff we're saying over and over again. And sorry if it's really patronising, but let's just put it out there, you know? Yeah. Because uh, it won't be for everyone, definitely, you know? Um, but so, it might see of some. So, yeah, yeah. yeah see the use of it it's really good but yeah you're right it's, it's very nice to be able to um to showcase um and, and use this platform to be able to put that out because normally you only hear about change through colleagues or for, through your pcn you don't it's hard to get out the message about things that are working well in practices so it's quite nice to be able to be a little bit of a platform for that I think yeah very very opportunistic and if you're not having those conversations uh, you know if you're not in rooms with different people from di- different practices then how are you all going to have these conversations so yeah it's nice <laughs> um so yeah thanks um everyone for listening and getting to this point um as always um you can get in touch with us in um, multiple different ways and we'll put all of the um, links and information in the episode description um please do keep getting in touch with ideas for episodes um with your feedback um and we really appreciate anyone who leaves a review um on any of the different um podcast platforms um it just makes us feel feel a little buzz um every time that we get a nice little review so thank you very much to everybody Till next time on Primary Care Knowledge Boost. This podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of GP Excellence, Wigan Borough CCG, Greater Manchester Training Hub and the GP Fellowship Programme, as well as Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership. Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in 2023. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewees' opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast.